morning. Morning. Um, so today we're going to be uh, continuing our series in Haggai. Um, I love Haggai, one of my favourite books of the Bible. Um, you know, one of the one of the most challenging things about reading the Bible is knowing where to start. Uh, have you ever felt like that? Where I, kind of, I, I want to read it, but I don't really know today, this morning, this afternoon, what, what page do I open it to? Where do I really begin? Um, I feel like that's pretty common to a lot of life. Uh, I remember when I was at the uh, RGU uh, many years ago now, um, I joined the Christian Union. And the Christian Union and had a, a, a great bunch of uh, guys and girls that had a, kind of a lot of, kind of energy and excitement and passion for the Lord, really kind of reaching out across the campus. But I remember one time um, I was sat in our weekly gathering, uh, chatting away with some of my friends, and I realised that quite a few of them were really struggling in terms of how they read the Bible. They didn't really know where to, where to open it up. And for, for most of them, what, what really had happened was they read the same books over and over and over. They would read the, the Gospels, they would read Acts, read the, the letters, uh, maybe Genesis, maybe Exodus, and just often read the same things over and over. And they kind of didn't really have that same passion. Where, where do I open this up today? And I was chatting with them. and. I encourage them to, to try something out. Try, try opening your Bible like the book of Judges, and then just keep reading. They go, you know, Judges, uh, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. If you skip Chronicles, get the same thing again. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. You've got, you know, so many books about a really strong running storyline. Uh, and it, it really kind of it feels natural just to kind of follow uh, God's story through. It's a good way to kind of revitalize the way that we're reading the, the scriptures. And, and generally, my friends tried that out and said, yeah, this is awesome. There's so much of the Bible that I've never really opened to this point. Because the thing is that if you read the same things over and over, it's, it's a bit like going to Tesco's, but only visiting one section. Imagine you had a friend who said, Love going to Tesco's, but I'm a bit bored. I, I can never find anything new to eat. And I go, why not? Well, every time I go, all I get are fruit and vegetables. I walk up and down the fruit, uh, the fruit aisles, up and down the vegetable aisles. I go to the checkout and I go home. And fruit's good, vegetables are good, but I'm a bit bored. I say, well, have you been to Tesco? Have you tried all the other aisles? Like, well, yeah, I walked into like the ingredient aisle once. I didn't know what to do with it. Like, you know, shakers with paprika and whatever else. I didn't know what to do. Well, come with me, my friend. Let's go and visit some new sections. Let's go to the bakery. Let's go to the frozen food section and the, 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 the ready meals, the underrated or whatever you want to call it, you know? But if you, if you walk the full length and breadth of Tesco, you will find many interesting aisles and foods and things. And you know, the analogy begins to break down because there's a lot of Tesco that you really don't need. But in the Bible, this is all here for us. Every single page in here is the authentic record of what God has done with his people through history, and it is all here for us. There are pages in the Bible 
that God had prepared for you at different points in your life, that when you open it up in that moment, at that stage, there's a message waiting for you right there and then. And if we don't open all the pages of the scriptures, we often don't get the benefit of these things. So today, uh, we are working from Haggai, but I kind of, I feel like if we only open these four verses, we'd miss everything that is actually going on here. So today, we're going to go, um, we're going to look at Haggai through the lens of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the biggest books in the Old Testament, and a lot of good stuff in here that helps us understand what is going on. But why? Why on earth, Steve? Why, why are you going through uh, Jeremiah? So I've got a little uh, uh, timeline here. Uh, I don't know how easy it is to see on the screen. I'll tell you what, I'll just fire that through to the, to the group chat that we've got as well, if you want to see it kind of closer up. Um, but this is kind of the timeline that we have for, uh, for the Old Testament. At least for, for this point in Haggai. Haggai in the top right around 520 BC. And, uh, and then other, other than that, all these other books that give you all the context as to what's going on. I believe uh, Paul did a great job last week looking at some of Ezra and how that ties in. This, this kind of blew my mind, blew my mind the first time I realised this because I, I, I started this way. I started looking at Haggai many years ago. It was the first book I really dug into in this part of the Bible. And then I discovered how many books there are right next to it that help you understand. And the more you read, the more you get, it kind of puts all the context together. So you've got Zechariah there at the same time as Haggai, you've got Ezra, there's Esther, and Nehemiah comes a little bit later. But a lot of the books that really are all at exactly the same moment in history and then help you to understand more of what's going on. So, but if you go to the left-hand side, in the yellow, you'll see in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, it goes through the last seven kings of Judah. So you get to see all you know, the final days running up to the exile, the exile when God's people were injected from the promised land, kicked out of Judah, kicked out of Jerusalem. When the city was flattened, the walls were broken down, the temple was destroyed. It's a big moment in history. And beyond that, at the top, you'll see a couple of the major prophets. You've got uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, each, each speaking to slightly different people at slightly different times, but effectively giving us a better understanding of the whole that is going on here. So you might ask, why Jeremiah? It's so far, you know, you've got like almost 100 years there from one to the other. Why would we be looking at Jeremiah this morning? So Jeremiah was the last prophet to speak in Jerusalem before Jerusalem was destroyed. And then Haggai is the first prophet to speak in Jerusalem after it was restored. So we can compare one with the other to see what's going on in the hearts of the people. So when you're looking at the, at the Old Testament, um, one of the challenges can be that it, it, there's a lot recorded there. It says a lot of good things that happen. It says a lot of bad things that happen. It doesn't always comment on which are which. It doesn't say that was a really good thing to do, that was a really bad thing to do. One of the helpful questions can be, what is the state of the people's hearts in this moment? First of all, are they at peace? Are they in that moment of a blessing where the Lord is blessing them there in the promised land? Are they perhaps a bit distant? That they've come from blessing, but they're a bit far away from the Lord at this moment. They could be closer to him. 
if they persist in that distanceness? Are they in a state of rebellion? Actively turning away from God, turning towards idols, turning to other sources of salvation, other kingdoms. Egypt will save us. Babylon will save us. Baal will save us. And turning away from the things of God. And eventually, when they persist in the rebellion long enough for, for enough centuries, that's the skill that we're on, are they in exile? Have they been ejected from the promises of God and are there apart from Him? Now, if you look at the, the lines there on the chart, they're all one way. It feels a bit kind of inevitable. The people want to be back in a place of peace, but how do you get back to peace? from being in rebellion? How do you get back to peace from being distant? Well, actually, it's always the same. It is through repentance. You can't just go back to peace. You want to be in peace, you can't just go back to peace. You have to go through repentance. It's available at any moment. When people are distant, they can repent. When they are in rebellion, they can repent. And when they're in exile, they can certainly and it's through that repentance that they are finally able to get back to that place of peace with God. So a bit of like an introduction, you're going to get some concepts, but we're going to spend really a load of time looking at the book of Jeremiah. So I would encourage you, uh, if you've got your Bible, open it up, like hold your app. We're going to do quite a lot of reading this morning. Uh, more and more of this lesson me. Um, and so please do follow along. Uh, we're starting Jeremiah, we'll have the verse will come up here and make it a bit easier to follow along. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting from verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Wait, where is this? Where is Anathoth? Where is Benjamin? Literally about three miles from Jerusalem. He, he grew up in a stone's throw from Jerusalem. It's why he then is such a prominent prophet in Jerusalem. Verse 2. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. In other words, Jeremiah was prophesying in Jerusalem thirty years before the exile. 30 years before it was all destroyed. It was kind of there on the, on the timeline, if you still got it there. But 30 years of ministry before the exile, and then 11, 12, 13 years of ministry after that initial exile during the reign of Zedekiah. I don't know about the technicality, but effectively 40 years he was ministering in Jerusalem. Verse 4 Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations. 
nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Verse 15. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work, arise, and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So Jeremiah starts off, he is a young guy. He has not got any experience in speaking or sharing the things of God. And God says, I am making you my prophet to my people. And at this point, Jeremiah, he's a little bit young, he's a bit... I mean, naive is maybe the wrong word, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't get how hard this is going to be. The people are far from God at this moment. He is going to speak to them again and again and again, and they will not listen. And the Lord says, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land. In my word, in my name, you will stand strong, and you will speak, and they will not be able to overcome you. Verse 1 of chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness, and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits. It, it goes on. There's a lot of stuff just like this early on in Jeremiah. It's beautiful. We hear God speaking lovingly about his people, lovingly about the nation that he rescued up out of Egypt, that he called them, he rescued them. You are mine and I love you. It's a message we see again and again. Sometimes in the culture we hear other things. We hear this concept that you know, God in the Old Testament is you know, mean, angry, looking to squish and smoosh for every little wrong. But when we read the Old Testament, it's a lot more like this. If you read Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, many others, this is the kind of language that we see. These are my people, and I love them. And we feel Jeremiah's heart coming closer to the heart of the Lord. As, as these chapters unfold, he gets a better understanding of the love that God has for his people. He understands more of what God wishes his 
speak about and, and that ultimately makes them more effective. It's the same with us. When we read the scriptures and we pray, we are less effective when we don't understand God's heart. The more that we understand his heart from people around us, for our families, for our friends, for us, the better we can speak into situations, the better we can pray, the better we can reach out to those around us. When you can say with confidence to somebody that God loves them because you know he loves them, not just because you read it on a page, but because you know his heart. Chapter 4, verse 5. <coughs> Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be in ruins without inhabitants. For this put on sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. We see more and more of this in Jeremiah, that not only does his heart understand more of the Lord's heart for his people, but he begins to see and hear the judgment that is coming. The people are at ease, they're happy, they're at rest, they're, they're, they're trading in the market, they're, they're pretty relaxed about what's going on, they're going and worshipping their, their idols and going about their daily business. But for Jeremiah, he hears the war trumpets coming. He sees the disaster coming upon the people. When people give him a nickname, they say to Jeremiah, your nickname, we're going to call you Terror on Every Side. Everybody else is happy, everybody else is cheerful, but Jeremiah, Terror on Every Side, there's disaster coming, there's always something bad coming. Christians often get a reputation like this in the culture, that we're the ones that say there is judgment coming. There is judgment coming for sin. Turn from your sin. Repent. Turn to the Lord. It has to be balanced out against that love that we understand the love the Lord has for not just his people but for everybody. Understanding that Jesus died for all. Verse 13. Behold, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil, that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims trouble from Red Ephraim. Warn the nations that he is coming. Announce to Jerusalem. Besiegers come from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah. Like keepers of a field are they against her all around, because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain, oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly, I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash falls hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste. My curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? 
For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. There's a lot of language like this, especially the first seven chapters of Jeremiah. Sometimes it's really hard. You read it and you're like, who's speaking here? This Jeremiah? Is this the Lord? It's really hard to tell. He's so close to the Lord that his word and the Lord are very similar to each other. Jeremiah chapter 7, starting from verse 16. As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women lead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? This happens three times. In the, in the early part of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he senses the judgment of the Lord coming. His love for the people is so deep, and so he tries praying out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, turn away from your judgment. Turn away from this disaster. And three times the Lord says, no, you don't get it. You do not see the people. You don't see how far their hearts are from me. You don't get it. Jeremiah, stop. Look see what's going on. Jeremiah begins to grasp more of the Lord's heart and where the people are at. And this happens when we pray. This happens when we pray. Sometimes we think that prayer is all a matter of, you know, I pray for this, yes, this happens. I pray for that, yes, that happens. Sometimes prayer is a conversation where we pray for something again and again and again and the Lord says, hang on, you don't understand. Look at this, understand what's really going on under the surface. Let's just step backwards for a second to Jeremiah chapter 5. Where the Lord helps Jeremiah see a bit more of what's going on in people's hearts. The Lord challenges Jeremiah. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your square to see if you can find the man, one who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. Though they say as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. You have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense. For they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great and will speak to them. For they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst their bonds. As we get into the middle and end of Jeremiah, we see this play out again and again and again. One time, Jeremiah spoke to the people on the brink of disaster and said, Turn back, turn to the Lord. And the people listened. They listened and they, they repented and they let go of all their slaves. They pronounced freedom in all of Jerusalem. 
And then the day they turned, they turned around and said, that wasn't a good idea, let's take all our slaves back. So close. That's the closest we come to repentance in the book of Jeremiah. The people's hearts are so far from the Lord. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but there's a, a passage in Jeremiah 36 where King Jehoiakim, uh, one of the last ones before the, before the exile, he's sitting in his winter palace and he's sitting by the fire, getting you know, warm, warmed up by the fire in the winter and somebody brings him the scroll of Jeremiah with all of his prophecies written on it. The prophecies that Jeremiah has spoken against Jerusalem, against Jehoiakim, against all of Judah, Judah and Israel. And what Jehoiakim does is he reads it, and every five lines or so he takes his pocket knife, he cuts off the prophecy and he throws it into the fire. Utterly rebellious against the Lord who has made him king. And the last bit we're going to read is from Jeremiah 42, if you follow it. It's quite a long passage. Um, this is actually after the exile and after the destruction of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has been raised to the ground, the, the walls have been destroyed, the, the temple has been destroyed. There are only a handful of people left in the land. A few people left behind by the Babylonians and they come to Jeremiah in chapter 42. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshea, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us. That the Lord your God may show us the way we should go, and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you, I will keep nothing back from you. This sounds like the, the repentance coming, doesn't it? Jeremiah had been prophesying in Jerusalem for 40 years. He's not a young man anymore. Probably in his 60s, 70s. It sounds like the people were finally ready to repent after the destruction of Jerusalem. Verse 5, Then he said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us, if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. At the end of the ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people, from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me, to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, and I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I will lend the disasters I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy 
that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt and where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. And we jump to 43, verse 1. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshea, and Johanan the son of Korea, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. This is the final tragedy of Jeremiah. That when it's all done and the city lies in ruins, the people are still, they are still in rebellion against the Lord. And not only do they leave, they, 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 they carry Jeremiah and Baruch off with them to Egypt as well. They are determined not to listen. This is the state of the people's hearts before the exile. Before these 70 years in Babylon, 70 years to reflect on the word of the Lord, to reflect on the promises and blessings that he had offered and their responses. And as we get into the book of Haggai this morning, if, we, if we've been around the last couple of weeks, we'll have heard the people have now arrived back in Jerusalem. They've started rebuilding their own houses, they're living there, but not experiencing all the blessings they expected in the promised land. And Haggai has come to them with a challenge, saying, the word of the Lord is to go and build his house again, so that he can be pleased and take honour in it, that the place of God in the middle of his people can be restored. And so we get to Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked from the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, 
in the second year of Darius the king. So after centuries of the Lord's patience, calling to his people again and again, come back, return to me, come back, return to me. No, no, no. People were determined in their rebellion. They were determined until they went into exile. And then finally, their children, their grandchildren, returned from exile. And on the first day, the first day the prophet comes to them, the day Haggai shows up with the Lord's message, the first thing the people do is obey. And the Lord sends them perhaps the shortest prophecy in the Old Testament. I am with you, declares the Lord. When his people listen, when they follow, when they obey, he is with them. Hallelujah. This is the revival that Jeremiah and many others would have longed to see. The day that Israel, the day that Jerusalem, that Judah would turn back and obey the word of the Lord. Before we finish up this morning, we've got to think, what, what, what does all this mean for us? We often have the same things going on in our lives and in our hearts, so we can be in these same spaces. Now, there, there's this perception that the Christian life should always be in that kind of sphere of, of peace, that we should always be in a kind of, you know, happy, clappy, cheery part of life. And that's, that's not the reality, but that is an important part of life, that Jesus died and rose again so that we could have peace. Peace with the Lord, peace with one another. That we can enjoy that, uh, that, that wholeness of blessing that he shed his blood to make available to us. And we're in a place of peace that's characterized by a few things. That is a place of humility, where we humble ourselves before God and before each other, before our leaders. It's a place of growth, where we're growing in our faith, growing in our love for, for the scriptures, for prayer, for gathering. It is characterized by service. When we serve the Lord in any way, any place, any time, that uh, reason we can. It's characterized by fellowship, by the gathering together of the Lord's people. And ultimately, it's characterized by obedience. So we're in a place of obedience to the things that the Lord has to say to us. Now, often, uh, the, the, the place we can step away to from there is a place of distance. <laughs> where our heart has this sense of apathy. I'm not really so interested in these things anymore. I'm not really so interested in, in gathering, and reading, and praying, in the things of God. I increasingly become isolated. Uh, I'm just operating me by myself. I'm, do, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm managing here. Uh, I'm not interested in gathering together with others anymore. It becomes a sense of independence that, yeah, I am I'm perfectly good, I'm, I'm strong and capable and able to do all this myself. And ultimately, a sense of kind of spiritual decline, that we become less engaged with the word, less engaged with the things of God. And we often long for that peace, we long to be back in that place of peace. I don't know what that felt like, but I don't know how to get back there. If I just kind of coast along a bit longer, maybe I will end up back in that place of peace. But actually, when we coast, we go the other direction, we go towards rebellion. That's where not only are we isolated and independent, but now we're proud of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, I think I can do this. I don't need the Lord, I don't need these things in my life. I will find other saviors, other things to protect me and look after me. 
I will kind of chase after other things to give me wholeness in my life. We, become, we begin to reject the things of God. Actually, you know, Jesus said that, but eh, I'm not so interested in that. I don't believe it. I don't want to follow it. And it, it becomes a, a general kind of disinterest towards the things of God. And if we persist in rebellion, one of the places that we can end up is in a place of exile. There's not really a, a clear theology of exile in the New Testament, but I think we see things like this in practice, that often when we cut ourselves off from the things of God, or perhaps if we are pushed away because of the things that we've done or whatever, <coughs> we end up in a place that is further away, where we have a, we're in a place of confusion, hurt, desperation, empty, emptiness, and just really kind of feeling that distance between us and God. And the thing is, regardless of, of where we are in any of these spaces, the answer is always the same. And there is a space, a healthy space of repentance and returning to the things of God. Now, what does that look like? It looks like mourning, where we are in a place where we are mourning the things and the mistakes that we've made, the distance that has grown between us and God or us and the, the, God's people. It's a place where we are seeking after the things of God again. We are reforming our life practices, changing the way I do my life from day to day. How can I bring the Lord into my everyday life? How can I restore the, the presence of God in my community, in my family, in my own life? And ultimately, in, in regathering together with the people of God. And, and the thing is, if I, if I finish this diagram the same way the original one was, it would feel a little bit inevitable. It would feel like, from peace, you always have to go away from God, come back to repentance, and then it kind of becomes a bit of a vicious circle. In practice for us as Christians, it is not inevitable. It's a two-way thing. That when we're in a place of, of peace and, and wholeness with the Lord, we will often then return to a place of repentance. Actually, I still need to change parts of my life. I still need to change parts of, kind of what I'm doing and who I am and come back to God. I need to make the Bible more a priority in my life. I need to make gathering a priority. We, we can healthily move back and forth between these things. There's a wonderful quote um, from a guy called uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, different Jeremiah, of course. Um, I love this. He says, The contented Christian is both the most contented person in the world and the most dissatisfied <coughs> person in the world. It's weird. You know, you think, how, how can that be? How can I be both contented and dissatisfied at the same time? Do I even want that? There's a, lot, there's a lot more words that go with this, but, but the, the, the contentedness that we enjoy is that peace, that, that Sabbath rest of God that we learn about in Hebrews, that, that peace of God that comes into our everyday life, that we can live and go about our lives, go about our work, go about our family, our studies, and enjoy the presence and the peace of God because he comes with us. As Christians, we have entered through repentance, through the, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, into a place of peace with God. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We can enjoy his presence in our daily lives. That is uh, an important part of what is available to us as Christians. But then again, the other side of it is that there is a deep 
discontent. That you can give me everything in the world, and yet if I do not have the Lord, it will not be enough. That I am dissatisfied with not seeing the Lord's presence in all of my community, in all of my family, and not seeing his kingdom coming into every area of my life. That deep dissatisfaction that drives us to read, to pray, to seek, to gather, to drive the kingdom forward, to pray that the Lord would make these things available and possible. And so the question this morning, where is our hearts? So as, as, as you look at the, kind of the different uh, kind of spheres that are there, what, what resonates? Where do you feel this morning? If you are in, in that place of, of you know, peace or, or repentance and returning, that's a wonderful place to be. My, my, encourage, my, my, my encouragement and my challenge to you would be to how do we continue to, to grow? How do we revisit the parts of scripture that we've perhaps uh, skimmed over and not really kind of, kind of gone right into before? How do we go forward in the way that we practice our faith, in the way that we pray, the way that we gather, the way that we, we share and hold each other accountable of the things that we do? How do we move forward in that peace that the Lord gives us? And if we're in any of these other places, you feel a bit distant today. In fact, not just today, it's been with you for a while. You feel that, that distance growing between yourself and the Lord and others. Wherever you are, these things, the only way back. You think, I want to be back at peace. I want to be back at the peace that I had before. Where is my peace gone? I just want to be at peace again. If I just keep going, I'll find that peace eventually. But actually, it always comes through returning, through repenting. Saying, Lord, I'm not happy with that distance. I'm not content in how isolated I have become, how proud I have become, how self-reliant I am. I repent and come back to you. And the beautiful thing we know from this morning's passage is that when we repent, when we return to the Lord, his message is clear and it is consistent. It was offered there in Jeremiah. Did, did he catch it? When Jeremiah was speaking to the last people, the people who were determined to leave and go to Egypt, the Lord said, if you will just obey, come back, return, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will lend the things that I have done. I will bless you. And the same message comes here to the people when they are obedient. I am with you, declares the Lord. If we have the Lord on our side, who can be against us? We can be that, <coughs> that iron wall, that fortified city. If we are trusting in the words of Jesus, nothing else can overpower us or come against us. Nothing can storm that keep and take away our peace. If the Lord is for us, then who can be against us? Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time together in your words. We thank you for all of your servants who have gone before us in the Bible, after the Bible. We thank you for how many brothers and sisters we share with who have poured out their lives to you and set a wonderful example for us. 
Lord, we know that our hearts are not always close to yours. When we are alone and by ourselves, we, we often feel that, that, that distance, that emptiness. We long for that peace in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, would you give us wisdom? Help us to know what needs to change. Help us to know how to respond to your word. Help us to know what, what it is that is, um, is setting us aside and apart from you. How can we change our lives, our days, our patterns, our, 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 our families, our friendships? What, what can we do to return to you? We love you. And we thank you that no matter where we are, whether we are far from you or close to you, that your heart is the same, that you long for us to be near you and to be by your side. We pray that you would give us a fresh insight into your word, a fresh uh, life in prayer, a fresh life of gathering and seeking after you. And we thank you by the blood of Jesus, all these things are available to us. Would you help us to follow you in the week ahead and help us to follow through and